Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Our first scripture lesson comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verses 16 to 20. It's on page 167 in the Old Testament. Let's stand together as we read uh, God's Word. Hear the word of the Lord. Circumcise then the foreskin of your heart, and do not be stubborn any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who is not partial and takes no bribe, who executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and who loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing. You shall also love the strangers, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. Him alone you shall worship. To him you shall hold fast, and by his name you shall swear. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Our second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. I would invite all those who are able to please stand as we hear God's holy word. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that wherever I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I am thankful for the opportunity to be here with you this morning and also thankful to have um, a couple of members who have come with me from Morningside Presbyterian Church, where I am very thankful to serve as their pastor. We have John Burgess, who is our clerk of session, and Jane Burgess, who is one of our most newly elected elders at the church. So I'm very thankful that they could come and join with us, along with my Boaz and my little Boaz in the nursery. Please join me in prayer. Come my way, my truth, my life, such a way as gives us breath, 
such a truth as ends all strife, and such a life as killeth death. Amen. Is it not wonderful news to believe that salvation lies outside ourselves? This statement by the great reformer Martin Luther truly sums up the significance of the five solas within our reformed Christian tradition. By grace alone, not by my efforts. By faith alone, not by my works. By scripture alone, not through amassed knowledge or collected wisdom or popular ideas in Christ alone, through no one else, through no notoriety or money or worldly power, and to the glory of God alone, not for my own glory or for the glory of my family or of my church or even for the glory of humanity. Each statement is filled with particular and powerful meaning while at the very same time pointing us to one truth. We cannot save ourselves. And why? Because there is only one who is up to that particular job. Now, each day I make a list of things that I need to get done. Some days the, nis the list is neater than others. Some days it is literally scrawled on the back of a receipt that I pulled out of my pocket. But a list gets made every single day. And on that list, there are mundane errands. I'm sure this sounds familiar to many of you. There are important professional commitments, and there are necessary routines, things that need to happen just to keep things running smoothly in my family. Then, of course, there are those things that spilled over from the list the day before. And daily, I work through that list. Each item on that list, I try to give it the attention that it needs, and sometimes it requires the help of technology, sometimes phone calls are required, and sometimes it requires that I drive around town, which usually reminds me that I need to get gas, and so I quickly pull over. Well, as soon as I get back into the car, you know exactly where I'm going with this, I check my list once again. Gassing up was not on the list. I write it in, check it off. That's what we do. And the list begins to shrink, and I begin to feel successful. I feel like I'm really getting somewhere. And then, every day, something pops up. Something new needs to be added to that list. And suddenly, I feel a familiar pressure, the pressure that comes along with wondering, am I going to get all of this finished? Well, eventually the end of the day comes, and most days my list is not completely finished. I try to remind myself that I simply can't do everything. I try to seek comfort in the fact that tomorrow is a brand new day. And then I write the unfinished items from today's list onto the top of tomorrow's. It's true. I can't do everything. Nobody can. And we know that this is true. Yet our human nature is to push harder, which may be great when you're building a house or working toward a deadline or studying for an exam 
or running a business, or maybe teaching a classroom with some children who aren't quite reading at age level yet. Push on, work hard, your efforts will pay off. But even hard work cannot achieve everything. Certainly not the most important things. Deep in our souls, we have always known that this is true, which is what is so life-giving about the five solas. They speak to that knowing deep in our souls with words of truth that set us free. My salvation is not in me. It is in Christ alone. Salvation was achieved once for all by the mediatorial work of Jesus Christ alone. He took on the sins of the world. He accepted the consequences of that sin because he is the only one who could bear the burden of them. Martin Luther put it this way, Christ had neither money nor riches nor earthly kingdom, for he gave the same to kings and princes but he reserved one thing peculiar to himself, which no human creature or angel could do, namely to conquer sin and death, the devil and hell, and in the midst of death to deliver and save those that through his word believe in him. Christ is the author of salvation, and it is critical to know him. He is the only way to receive salvation. It is his alone to offer. And Christ is offering that salvation every moment of every day to everyone. As Christians, we have received that invitation and we live according to our particular responses. But now what? How does salvation change us? Of course, in our salvation, we find a sense of security. Our life is secure despite our imperfections, despite our inability to completely avoid sin. Salvation secures our place among the most blessed of people because we have received this incredible gift. We have been saved. And Romans 8 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Salvation is knowing that we belong to God forever and ever, no matter what. We get to live in this knowledge every day of this life while we look forward to living in the fullness of salvation in the next life. You see, salvation is not simply about getting into heaven. Salvation is about life. In John 10, Jesus says, I have come so that you might have life and have it to the full. The fullness of life is not just about later, down the road. It is also for now. So the Super Bowl is next Sunday. The Seattle Seahawks will match up with the New England Patriots. 
And I know this is not quite as exciting as a particular SEC matchup you get to choose. But still, I'm sure some of you may be planning to have a gathering at your house or maybe a gathering at one of your favorite chicken wing establishments. If one wants to attend this particular game in person, well, it turns out the tickets come at a pretty hefty price. The cost is about 17% higher than it was last year. And people are paying around $3,500 or more just for one ticket to this very special occasion. Now, I imagine people who have these tickets that they're not just sort of hanging around in their house. I don't imagine these Super Bowl tickets sitting on the top of anyone's dresser or hanging out where you drop the mail in the kitchen. No, I imagine that these Super Bowl tickets are locked away somewhere or at the very least tucked away carefully so that they don't accidentally get scooped up with the laundry or even worse, with the trash. Of course, good friends might be invited to come over and see these Super Bowl tickets because in the safety of friends might feel a little better just to unlock things and pull out the tickets and let people look and ooh and awe over them the shiny pictures and the metallic print. I've never seen one, but I imagine there's metallic printing. <laughs> Don't you? And so they all look at them together and eventually someone smacks the holder, the ticket holder on the back, feeling so happy for them and maybe just a little jealous that they're headed to the Super Bowl. But then after they're finished, the tickets go right back into that safe place, possibly locked up, waiting there until it's time for entry to the big event. And what a wonderful day that will be. Well, you know, sometimes Christians can be like ticket holders for the Super Bowl. Of course, we didn't pay a hefty price for our tickets. That price has been paid in full. Even so, that ticket that we hold can get locked away so tightly, at least during the week, or maybe even for weeks at a time. Sunday morning feels a little safer. I mean, after all, we are here among friends. And so the lock is removed and we feel a little safer, a little more secure to talk about what we know is coming, what we hope is coming, and what we believe to be true. We even begin to discuss our plans for the big event, to head to the mansion with many rooms. And then after church, after we have patted each other on the back and extended the right hand of fellowship, sometimes we go home and we secure the locks around what we believe, the salvation that we hold, and we tuck it away. Now that doesn't sound like life to the full. It doesn't really sound like the way of Jesus either. Because of Christ, we, have, we no longer have to deal with locks or keys or shackles or chains. In Christ, we have been set free. But for what? Those who have received salvation are freed to boldly live the fullness of our life in Christ. And in so doing, those of us who are saved live out the purpose 
of showing that salvation to others. We get to show what we have, not as a boasting, but as an introduction, as an invitation. Through our lives, those of us who are saved by Christ alone, we can share the good news with others. There is life to the full to be lived right here and shared right now on this side of heaven. And friends, there are so many who do not know Jesus, but we do. And we have the opportunity to share him with them. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And friends, if we really believe this, then we have something very important to do. It's not enough to belong to the Christian faith or to belong to a church. In our churches, we can become too comfortable with who belongs inside the walls. People come and go, and sometimes we notice, and sometimes we don't. But this is not the way of Christ. In Christ alone, our hearts are changed to be like Christ. And Christ was never satisfied with who was in and who was out. He came for all. With Christ in our hearts, this is our concern, not that we must win people over to the Lord. Remember, it's in Christ alone that one receives salvation. But still, we are given the chance to show Christ to others as we live life to the full ourselves, pointing directly to what he has done in our lives. Now, January and February are very big months in whatever state you live in for wedding shows. Couples that got engaged over the holidays are often really excited, and so January and February come along, and the marketers know these couples need some help, and it's an opportunity for them. And so a wedding showcase is an opportunity for these couples to go and kind of get the big picture of everything they need to do to get ready for their wedding day. Now, one item that they will learn about at these showcases is invitations. Where you can buy them, how much you can spend on them, when do they need to be sent out, how many is a good idea to send. Because invitations are very important if you want people to attend. But then there are other questions, like who gets to be on that guest list? Invitations must be sent to family and to friends. And of course, the number on the guest list depends on the wedding and the reception venue, as well as how many one can afford to accommodate. You can't invite everyone. That's simply not practical for a wedding. But friends, the gospel is not practical. According to the gospel, everyone is invited. Jesus made the invitation, but not everyone has received it, which is exactly where we come in. We are called to deliver the invitation to Christ. 
It is not our business to make sure that the invitation is accepted. However, it is our purpose to make sure that the invitation is made, that it is delivered with a sincere heart, a heart that has been changed by the author of salvation. Now, I know at times this can be difficult and uncomfortable and scary. It can even be heart-wrenching. Now, a friend of mine served a church in the Pittsburgh area years ago, and she and her, and her congregation had been working very hard on remembering that they needed to be reaching out to people beyond the four walls of their own church. They had tried to focus on going out into the community and being very deliberate about inviting people in, even as they shared with them what they knew to be true about Christ's grace. Well, there was one member who invited a gentleman from her work to come to church. He was new to the community. Actually, he was new to the country. He and his family had just moved over from India so that he could take the position where she worked. And so this Christian woman knew that they were new in the area without much of a support group. And she had heard him talking about how he hadn't really found a community of faith to connect with yet. And so she very quickly invited him to come to her church. She knew that he would be warmly received, as would the rest of his family. Well, at first he just said thank you and nothing came of it, but she continued to persist in inviting him. Well, one day he met with her in the break room and asked if he could speak to her for just a moment. He wanted to explain to her why he had not accepted the invitation to come to her church yet. Turns out his family is a Hindu family. And although they had not found a community of Hindus to connect with, they weren't sure that it was appropriate for them to come to her Christian church to accept that invitation. Well, this woman couldn't imagine why it wouldn't be okay for them to accept that invitation, and so she made it once again. And a couple weeks later, the family snuck in just as the service was beginning, sat off to the side, and my friend who was the pastor caught their eye. At the end of that service, they rushed out very quickly out the side door, and she found out from the woman that worked with that man just what the situation was. And so the following week when they showed up in worship once again, the pastor made a point to get to that side door before they could sneak out of it. When she got over there, she was glad to shake their hand, glad to introduce herself. And the gentleman said he was very thankful for the welcome that his family was receiving. Now, within a few months, that family became very regular worship attenders. They participated in fellowship events. They even participated in service projects. They were becoming well-known and well-loved, very much considered a part of the community there. They were really model churchgoers. And then about six months after they'd been attending that church, there was a morning when three children were baptized. And this was the first time, of course, that this gentleman and the rest of his family had seen a Christian baptism, much less been within a congregation that was baptizing some of their own children. And they were moved by the beauty of the sacrament. They were moved by the reading of Scripture. They were moved by the questions that were asked and answered. 
and they were moved by the way they looked around the room and saw people smiling, some people wiping just a little tear, saw the joy on the pastor's face, the joy on the face of those parents. It was amazing because that baptismal time seemed to just bind that whole congregation together even more tightly. And so the man went up to the pastor and asked if he could set up a meeting with her because they very much wanted to be baptized within that congregation. Well, the pastor was ecstatic. The elders were ecstatic. And an appointment was made for that very week. And so when the family showed up in the pastor's office, she was ready to talk to them about the particulars of baptism, the ins and the outs, the what we believe and why we do what we do. And it was a happy meeting. And then she got to the first question that is asked in baptism. And she simply said, the first question you will be asked is, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And the man's face fell. His kids and his wife, they all together looked uncomfortable. And before my friend continued on to share the second question, the man raised his hand and said, Pastor, I have to stop you. I thought you knew that we are Hindus. We cannot answer that question. And there was a thick silence in her office. There was a stillness that was undescribable. And eventually, the man and his wife and the children stood and he extended his hand with sadness in his face and said, I am so sorry to have wasted your time. And as they were beginning to leave, the pastor said, please, just let me pray with you one more time. So they all stood and took hands there in her office, and she prayed prayers of thanksgiving for the fact that they had met, that they had shared life together, and that God would bless them all on whatever journey God was about to take them on. And then they said amen, and the family walked out the door. The last time she would see them, the last time she would know that they ever entered that church building heavy hearts all around. The congregation had lost a family that they had grown to love. They had lost regular members. They had lost people who were engaged in service, but the most important, difficult thing they had to face was that this family that they loved did not know Jesus Christ. But still, there is good news. The congregation had oh so faithfully extended an invitation and had shown forth Christ from the depths of their hearts. They had stood firm in what they believed and introduced this family to something, someone they had never known before. They as a congregation had fulfilled their purpose. Now, I imagine there are so many stories that could be shared that have happy endings. Happy endings where people did come to embrace Jesus Christ. But today, 
we're focused on Christ's efforts. And we have to remember that it's not about what we do. It's about what Christ does through us. Not a one of us in this room, not a one in that congregation knows how that story will end with that family. Only Christ knows. Only Christ knows how the invitation will be delivered again and again. Only Christ is capable of developing a life of faith in those people who were not ready to embrace him, at least not yet. We do not know what can happen, but we know that with Christ, all things are possible. And isn't it wonderful news? Isn't it wonderful news to believe that salvation lies outside ourselves? It is not our job. It is our blessing. It is what we have to share with others. It is what binds us together and encourages us to go forth, to share the name of Christ, because the invitation is truly for all. Amen.